0: Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, adman and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame. Which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes the Five of My Life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. David Pocock had a remarkable sporting career. Professional at the tender age of 17, he ended up captaining the Wallabies and being the only Australian player included in World Rugby's Team of the Decade. Yet his story is every bit as fascinating off the field as on, be it his family's traumatic flight from Zimbabwe, his social activism or his run for the Senate. Driven and inspiring, David is a true warrior both on and off the pitch. So, David, welcome to Five of My Life, mate. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. And and you've sent me on a uh, voyage of discovery. Your your film, your book and your song were, were all virgin territory for me. Um, so, I suppose, thank you. You are broadening my mind.
1: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'm looking forward to chatting about them.
0: So, your first uh, choice on Five of My Life is always the film. Uh, and you've chosen Eternal Enemies, lions, lions and hyenas from 1992. Could you explain that? Describe it, and then tell us why you've chosen it.
1: Sure. This was a film that, as a kid, I watched over and over. We used to go and spend holidays on my, my grandfather's farm. Uh, we were farming in the middle of Zimbabwe, and they were right down south on the South African border. So we'd you know make the five hour drive down there and spend the holidays there. And, and it, my grandfather. Had an amazing collection of National Geographic VHS tapes. It is VHS, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's it, it's very hard to get hold of now.
1: Yeah, and one of them was Eternal Enemies, which must have been pretty recent at the time. And my brothers and I just loved it. It was, you know, it was a wildlife documentary, but it wasn't the usual, just showing the nice nature, you know, beautiful shots and a and an interesting storyline. This was sort of brutal nature and, and a, you know, a look into what actually happens between lions and hyenas. And they shot it in, in Botswana, I think in Chobi National Park, in, in an area called the, the Savuti. A really famous um, filmmaking couple, Derek and Beverly Joubert. And I don't know, I've always I've always just enjoyed it. It gave me a real interest in hyenas. They're, they're a fascinating animal, really interesting matriarchal uh, social hierarchy and are really important sort of myth- mythologically and, and in terms of stories to, to many people in Southern Africa. So it's something that, I cap- that captured my imagination. You know, I, I grew up on a farm loving nature and this kind of brought something into your living room that you otherwise would never have any idea about or get, get to see. I think just at that that young age, I found it so exciting.
0: It it was stunning, and the thing—I mean, there there were so many uh, things that struck me about it. Um, The first would be how it inverted the narrative of a uh, non-farming person like myself. Is—is you just think that that? You know, hyenas are the people that hang around after a lion has hunted something and and isn't the predator. It is the person that, that pinches the lion's kills and it's the other way round. And and the way that you think all the hunting happens at, at, in the day and if it doesn't, it happens at night. Just, just there were so many things that the Maasai warriors calling hyenas the doctor because they can spot the sick and the weak out of a herd, the one they're going to get. And it was so eye-opening for me
1: yeah i mean i would have watched this before i watched the lion king which i think did a great disservice to hyena uh, there's this myth that they are just you know these lazy uh thieves that that come and steal food off off other predators you know some people are saying that they they hunt up to 50 percent of their prey and that, as you said they are incredible you know that they they're picking off the weakest animals and playing a really important role in in those ecosystems because of their their clan structure and and the way that they collectively look after pups they do take a, a longer time to to recover so yeah definitely a, a species i love seeing and yeah as a documentary this this really yeah captivated me as a as a young kid and every now and then i will go back and and watch
0: it you mentioned the lion king that the director of the lion king rob mintoff cited this documentary as one of the main inspirations for the film, which is so ironic, given, as you say, he did such a disservice. But he was quoted as saying, if we can capture one-tenth of the power of that documentary, then The Lion King will be fantastic. But it leads me to want to ask you a question, because the narrative around lions and hyenas that everyone would accept who doesn't understand is wrong, but it's accepted. How do you change narratives in society, uh, it could be climate change, it could be anything, where there is a received wisdom, sort of a lazy generalisation that, that just goes into the ether. How on earth do you break through and change that in a world where the quality of debate is just mind-rottingly, toxically binary you know you've got sort of an unaccountable sloganeering on social media you've got people hectoring opponents or preaching to the choir nobody's listening everyone's trying to confront rather than convert all your wonderful work and causes is does it get you down are you full of hope How, how do you actually get a message out there
1: well i think one of the things that that does resonate with people is storytelling as humans our lives revolve around stories, our cultural stories, our family stories, the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, the things that we're doing. Facts don't seem to change behavior if you look at the last little while with with just how much we know about these big challenges. So I think storytelling needs to be part of it. And in that, we need to be telling bigger stories that actually speak to the kind of future we can have rather than just talking about what we're against what we don't want let's actually try and spark our imaginations have conversations about what we do want how we can actually get there you know there are a number of people really doing good work in that area someone like damon uh, gamo with his 2040 and more recently regenerating australia actually saying to people hang on this is a this is a big opportunity we can actually deal with these challenges in a way that turns them into an opportunity to create a better future for all of us. It's a harder thing to do. It does require nuance. There's not a lot of room for nuance in social media or a 24-hour news cycle. But I think more and more people are searching for that. You know, maybe to to bring it back to politics and and the, and the election. For me, the the interest in independence is seeing people who are actually in there for the right reasons, who don't have to be in politics, but want to do this, want to actually represent their community on these issues and look beyond the next news poll or the next election and say, well, hang on, like where do we want to head in the next decade, in the next two decades? There's, there's, there's very little sort of big important work that can be completed in two or three years. So it's a hard thing to do, but I think more and more people are, are, are recognizing that and, and joining these conversations.
0: That's a that's a great answer. That that the power of storytelling, but storytelling that is positive and long term. That there's a Walt Whitlam quote which is the powerful play of life goes on, and you may contribute a verse. There's this history that goes on forever, and are we gonna be that generation that just balls it up for everyone else? Or are we actually gonna contribute something Positive.
1: It reminds me of a Rebecca Solnit quote. I'll probably butcher it, but it, it's something like, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the slow sideways path on a world without end. And it kind of <laughs> speaks to how much we get caught up in this doom and gloom and, you know, it's it's the end of the world rather than saying, oh, well, hang on, this is actually about the kind of future that we are creating every day. And we, we do have the agency and it's it's an incredible thing for, for us to have all this information and to have the technology and, and the ideas to actually deal with these big problems. We're clearly missing the leadership, the long-term thinking and the political will. But, you know, that's that's we can change that.
0: Talking about leadership way back when I was a young man, I studied Frederick Nietzsche for a dissertation and he said it's possible to listen to a point of view you wholeheartedly approve of only to find yourself violently disagreeing solely because of the manner in which it is expressed. (laughs) To have a change, you've got to talk to people who you might violently disagree with and not particularly want to invite for dinner. But that, but that's that's where the change is.
1: Yeah, and you know, more than ever, as humans, we, we we can exist within these echo chambers, where on social media or wherever it is, we're surrounded by people with the same opinions. And if you look at some of the, you know, really sc- scary stuff around social media algorithms, they're actually sending you further and further towards whichever your, your, your leaning is, we need to create more space for, for actual debate in, in public life, move away from this sort of cancel culture and shouting matches and actually talk about things that are, that are important to us and, and really affect our lives and, and are you know, a big part of, I think, creating the kind of communities and society that we want.
0: Well, and that's why it, it's sensational that people like yourself are are running for office because you you get the sense that you know it's it's not a job, it's not you know hectoring, it's because you believe in some things that might make the world better over the long term. But we're going to move on to your second choice on Five of My Life. Wow, this. I don't know whether to thank you or criticise you because I just went down a rabbit hole. My wife said, what are you reading now? What are you watching now? Because your book choice is The Call of the Reed Warbler by Charles Massey in 2017. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: For anyone interested in agriculture or food or just our our, our future here in Australia, I I cannot recommend Charles Massey's book called The Rid Wobbler." Enough. You know, I grew up on a farm in Zimbabwe. Both sides of my family have been involved in, in farming for a long time. And so it is an interest. I studied at university. I've got a master's in sustainable agriculture. And we're seeing this seismic shift in agriculture after, you know, a couple hundred years in Australia of working... Against nature of of trying to beat the land in to submission, we're now seeing new thinking, which is is really also ancient thinking and and methods of actually working with nature, of working to enhance natural systems, and at the same time produce the the food and fibre that that we need and someone like Charlie Massey is at the forefront of this we've got a number of leaders here here in Australia and I thought it was a brilliant book the way he weaves in his personal story of i guess moving back to the farm taking it over as a as a young man grappling with how to pay the bills then finding this this different way of farming which it takes a big shift in mindset from just going down sort of a, a formula where you add you know, this fertilizer and then, you know, that helps with the grass to actually saying, well, this is actually about managing a really complex uh, system uh, which which takes a lot of learning and being able to read the landscape, work with it. But I think ultimately, you know, it it is... The, the way of the future and there's all sorts of studies now coming out showing that ecologically how beneficial it is but also socially you've got farmers who feel more connected to the land and also more connected to other farmers learning from each other being part of land care groups so I'm I'm really excited about the future of agriculture in Australia if we can embrace this this sort of thinking and it's always been really concerning to me this divide in Australian politics and the way we talk about farmers and the environment. You know, most farmers I know love the land that they farm and we've got to be working with farmers and incentivize better land management practices and ensure that they're part of the solution to the, the climate and, and biodiversity crises that we're facing.
0: It's just an amazing book. There's so many phrases in it. One is industrial agriculture is warfare against nature. And you go, wow, what a. The other one is about we're creating drug addict plants. I, I found it actually quite sort of hopeful. All those pictures of, you know, one farmer's land that's verdant and then there's a fence and the next farmer's is a dust bowl. And it's because the, you know, the first farmer's been doing regenerative farming, he's been working with nature. It, it gave me hope that it can change, people can change. Uh, But it also got me down a rabbit hole for the Save Soil movement. Oh, my word. I don't don't know if you're across that. I mean, I'd never bloody heard of it. But the notion that topsoil is a living organism. And in the last century, we have destroyed 52% of the planet's topsoil. So So there are people going, it's a crime against humanity. We are killing topsoil. And people go, who cares? Because I live in a city. You go, well, you are going to care or your grandkids are. Because if there's no topsoil left, we are all rooted. You go, first of all, it was the atmosphere. Then it was the oceans. Now it's the bloody topsoil. I don't I don't know what to be worried about next. Help me, David.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I, I guess maybe drew me to the book and, and why I enjoyed it so much is that over the years, I've had so many conversations with, with my own dad about the way that we farmed in Zimbabwe and how differently we would, do things given what we now know you know as humans we don't like change the hardest thing to change is probably those sort of cultural mindsets and intergenerational knowledge that's been passed down and you know you look at farming and it's it's very much based on that that knowledge that's passed down um through generations so this conversation is 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 a hard one as as Charlie Massey points out in his book and a lot of the people who have embraced this and become leaders there was some sort of turning point or tragedy that made them sit down and go hang on like why am I doing this we obviously don't want everyone to have to face a tragedy and we've got to be furthering the conversation incentivizing it ensuring that the the fear-mongering and the, the vested interests don't don't win out because this is a huge opportunity for, for all Australians, the way we're managing land. You know, farmers and, and pastoralists manage 50% of, of the continent. So we can have a, a really big income by supporting farmers who are farming in a more regenerative way and in making sure that the government is supporting farmers who want to move in that direction.
0: If you go to a farmer who has been doing industrial agriculture and destroying the topsoil and, and his land... And you can convert him or her. You know that's the person you, who will change the world. Another Nietzsche quote for you. God, he, he, this was in 1895. The world is beautiful, but has a disease called man.
1: You know that's the challenge, and that's the opportunity for us: is to be part of this change, this move towards actually looking after these amazing places that that we live, playing our parts as playing our part as stewards to actually hand over the world in a better place to future generations which you know, I think m- most most people want to do this shouldn't be a, a radical agenda this should be about meeting our own needs living great lives but ensuring that future generations can do the same
0: Yeah, oh, a- absolutely it's wonderful seeing your face light up when you talk about talk about this and and it's about being part of nature not not dominating it not destroying it <music> Um, we're going to stay in 2017, mate, for your third choice. And I'm going to tell you a story before I reveal to our listeners what the choice is. Because to my shame, I mean, I'm old, you're you're young. Um, I, I had never heard of the song and I had never heard any of the band's songs. So I called up my son and I told him what you had uh, chosen. He's a bit of a bit of a Pocock fan. Um, uh, and he said to me, Dad, you, you have to promise me that you don't listen to the song you listen to the whole album that it's on in a row in one session and it's the last uh song and you have to listen it and i thought oh, bloody hell i'm doing so much research on this bloody man if, if you insist <laughs> <laughs> so i sat down and listened to this 16 song masterpiece and then the song that you have chosen which we're going to add obviously to the spotify playlist the five on life playlist it was genuinely like a religious experience. It, it floored me. I, I, I just knocked me on my backside. You have chosen Say Yes to Life by Gang of Yous. figure in their faces when they say you're on the blog,
1: That was sage advice from your son. It is, it's is—it's an incredible album and it is sort of crafted where each song seems to flow in to the next. I mean, this, this is one of my favorite bands. I, I just love what they do. I, I love uh, Dave, Leo Pepe, the, the um, lead singer. The way that he crafts the lyrics, you know, probably speaks to that that sort of saying that the the most personal is actually um, the most universal. Like if you can actually talk about the things that you, that you struggle with as a human, most people can relate. We have so much in common. And I don't know, this, this song just speaks to me. I, I love the lyrics. It, it sounds, it sounds great. And I mean, what a, (laughs) <laughs> i don't know what a what a message you know um oh, say yes to life
0: yeah hope optimism love unity the 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 power of the human spirit to overcome that the, there's a couplet in it that uh made me think about you and this future conversation with it. it's okay don't fear go be part of the new sincere and I just, you know, as in like, be the change you want to see in the world, you know, say yes to life, you know, yes, it is confusing. Yes, there are troubles, you know, but, you know, there is a new sort of growing consciousness that we can. It hasn't got to be how it's always been and, and you know, mm-hmm. join in. And I think you're you're doing that, mate, and more power to you. But I, I, it, it makes me want to ask you a question because of the, the band's roots. Oh, I didn't know them from a bar of soap. They are sensational. I have been <laughs> listening to all their back catalogs, so thank you for that. It is that their roots were from their church and they identify as Christians. I mean, they, they did. I don't know if they still do. Would you mind talking about your religious
1: journey? To me, it really is about community and, 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 and people. One of One of my heroes is Desmond Tutu, who did so much in... South Africa to stand up against apartheid. And then, you know, when South Africa was on the edge, um, socially, uh, in the transition out of, out of apartheid after their first democratic election did a huge amount in trying to unite people. And his message is all about how much we have in common. To me, it's one that resonates, you know, having been involved in professional sport for a decade and a half where you're with a group of people from different backgrounds, different belief systems, you realize that we have so much more in common than politicians or some people in the media would would like us to believe and try and divide us and use fear. I think when we actually acknowledge that we are different and, and that's actually a a strength but that we do have so much in common and we can work together with people that we may not agree with or potentially even like. We can work together because ultimately we, we mainly want similar things, you know, to feel valued, to, to be safe, uh, to be able to have a good life with our families, all, all these sorts of things that are, such, uh, are so fundamental to the human, human experience.
0: What unites us is far more important than what divides us. And I I love hearing you talk about Desmond Tutu because I haven't got a clue what he actually believed in terms of his theology. And I don't care. You judge a man or a woman by his or her actions. And we had the uh, the rabbi, Rabbi Kamins, on Five of My Life. He was sensational. And we were talking about uh, actually just judge someone by what they do. What was the verse that you wrote in The Great Symphony of Life? But don't get me started. Don't get me started. We're going to move on to your fourth choice. Now, mate, you've messed with the format because you've chosen the second longest river in Australia, uh, 1,400 uh, kilometres long, the Murrumbidgee River. Could you please tell us why you've chosen that on Five My Life?
1: Well, the Murrumbidgee runs through the, through the ACT, and from where I live in Canberra, it's about 20 minutes to the closest uh, stretch of it and it is it's an incredible river i i love spending time there we're really fortunate here in the act where pretty much all of the river is part of nature reserves as it comes through through the act so there's there's great access good walking trails you can swim in in summer winter you can also swim it's a bit it's a bit chillier but i often say when i'm out there with with my wife emma you know people people spend thousands of dollars to fly across the world to enjoy these sorts of places and we've got it on our on our doorstep uh it's just it's such a privilege and something i something i love i love doing you know you 20 minutes away you can be away from everything there's no mobile reception down there which is a which is a bonus and you can you can really just get away for the morning or if you know if you want to camp there's there's some campgrounds along there you can hike so just just somewhere in Canberra that I, I love getting to
0: Now are you still a a bird nut or is that, is my research old I pr- I probably shouldn't use the word nut a a bird lover
1: <laughs> No I love birds I, I'm certainly not I'm not twitcher level you know I can't I can't tell you every bird just based on its its call, but I do love them. Growing up, my dad loved birds. He'd grown up doing a lot of falconry. He passed that love of, of birds on to me, and then my my grandfather, my mum's dad, was big into his birding. Spent a lot of time with uh, an old pair of binoculars around my neck and a, and a bird book off trying to find some mayor's parrot or uh, whatever it was in, in Zimbabwe that I, that I thought was a cool bird to look at.
0: Well, that, that is the perfect link to your fifth and final choice on Five of My Life, David, which is uh, usually my favourite one. It's People's Possession. Uh, and you've chosen your f- grandfather's compass. Would you please describe it and tell us why you've chosen it?
1: Yeah, it is, an, it is an amazing old compass. It's one of those old oil compasses. The story behind it is when my grandfather, my dad's dad, died when I was two or three, And so my dad moved back and was farming with his his brother. And my my grandmother lived with us. She was a huge part of my life. We used to do she was really into her craft, so we'd spend a lot of time doing crafts with her. And then in nineteen ninety eight, so I would have been in grade four or five, she moved to Canada to join my aunt who, who lived there. And before she left as a ten year old she gave me my grandfather's compass and I've always just been so fascinated by it. He used it uh, he, he was farming and also mining and so he would use it to, to navigate through the through the bush and sort of set up fence lines and all that sort of thing which, you know, is now kind of a another world given GPS technology and Google Maps and satellites and, and all the rest. Uh, so I don't. know, it's, I guess it's 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 a connection to someone that I didn't know, but I've heard a lot about. Even though I didn't know him, he's obviously shaped a lot of my life, and I feel I feel like I have a connection to him. And so it's, I guess it's it's a symbol of that, that connection, and, and um, yeah, something that I carry with me.
0: And you talk about connection to the past. It is your story, which uh, has been quite extensively written about gosh it's you know you the flight from zimbabwe um wow to to have lived sort of two you know pre and post lives that that's that's uh that's an unusual and remarkable story the 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 legacy of that for you i think you you mentioned you started a sort of therapy journey in 2012 is is, is that right are, are you are you at peace with it or are there still challenges that you have with that experience and that having happened to your family or
1: I mean looking you know looking back on it as a kid I, I never dreamed that we would leave Zimbabwe it was all it was home it was what I knew I loved living there and things changed politically very quickly you know, in the space of a few years we were kicked off our farm the president was saying that white farmers should leave the country we're no longer wanted you know I guess that period of uh uncertainty and 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 trauma i don't know maybe uh, forces you to to grow up a bit quicker and and deal with things that kids probably shouldn't have to deal with and i think our, our family arrived in brisbane in 2002 all carrying our own our own issues and so it had yeah it has been a journey coming to to peace with that and i've found it really helpful having older, wiser people to actually talk it through. I've been so grateful for the opportunities I've had here in Australia. I'm grateful for the, you know, my upbringing in Zimbabwe and I've, I've tried to give back there over the years through, through various initiatives and projects. And I guess now, you know, running as an independent, when you love somewhere, you want to make it better, you want to contribute. And that's, that's what I want to do here in, here in Australia and here in Canberra is, is represent a community that I love. And actually, yeah, be accountable to them and and work together to try and improve our democracy and, and this amazing country that we get to call home.
0: Well, you are a dead set inspiration, mate. And I have loved this conversation. But on one level, it's been agony because I am a total rugby nut. And the format of Five of My Life is we follow the guests' choices and the stories behind them. So I, I'm going to have to set up another podcast where I'm just going to spend four hours asking you all the questions I want to Sorry, ask Sorry, Nigel, I should,
1: have, <laughs> I should have included a few rugby, <laughs> a few <laughs> rugby things.
0: <laughs> I'm getting Stu Dickinson on in a, in a couple of weeks' time who, who I asked him oh, nice. about, about you and he said nice things. We've had John Eels on who was, who was hilarious and wonderful. But we're coming to the six trick question. Which is, who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next and why?
1: Uh, well, I'd probably go Dave the pepe from Gang of Youths. So I'd be interested oh, to hear great. him answer some of these questions.
0: What a, how much talent in one person? How unfair is that?
1: <laughs> oh, man, he's phenomenal. And you've got to try and see them live. It is a spectacle. Like he, yeah, he is, uh, him and his band are amazing live, so glad you enjoyed them. Uh, David Pocock,
0: you are an absolute legend. Thank you so much for sharing your choices on Five My Life.
1: Thank you so much for for this, Nigel. I've, I've really enjoyed it.